It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by best-selling author and renowned leadership consultant, Devar Zak, whose latest book, The Cactus and Snowflake at Work, How the Logical and Sensitive Can Thrive Side by Side, actually literally just came out. And uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, this fantastic read. Devar, welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure being here. Absolutely. So let's talk about you first and how uh, how you uh, have developed your expertise, uh, certainly in leadership. And, and obviously, we'll, uh, we'll get into uh, the cactus and the snowflake in just a moment. So Devar, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I have a leadership development company that's in its 25th year, and I have four books that are translated into 45 languages. And I travel internationally, helping people understand themselves and others better. And uh, I heard you're the king of networking. So maybe you've heard of one of my books called Networking for People Who Hate Networking. <laughs> so it seems like we have a lot in common. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Yes, the book is Networking for People Who Hate Networking, Single Tasking and Managing for People Who Hate Managing. And um, I've been getting through the book, actually. So uh, really, really exciting. So we definitely have a lot in common. And I know that you've received many, uh, many fantastic uh, recognitions, very well deserved, including um, Forbes' top networking book in 2019, top five self-help book, self-help books, and so on. So, um, you know, I want to, I want to jump into this, the cactus and the snowflake at work. So again, I'm chatting with Devar Zak, uh, who has just come out with this fantastic, fantastic book. And you argue in the book, which I'm working my way through, that the best use of our energy is to focus on our own reactions and perceptions rather than trying to fix other people. Uh, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, it, I realized that there's only three things in the world that we can directly control, our own thoughts, our own words, and our own actions. And instead of focusing on what we can control, a lot of us spend much time in our own minds correcting people and thinking that we know better than them and uh, that they should be different somehow. So it's a real reframe to say, well, what about if everyone's exactly the way they're supposed to be and it's up to me to meet other people where they're at? It's so a much the, more successful way of engaging with others. With the with the titles of uh, Cactus and Snowflake, I know that there's a deep meaning behind that. So I'd love to understand sort of who the personality uh, types are of each and what traits differentiate the cactus and the snowflake. And when it comes to the workplace, what's the benefits and the challenges of each? So the cacti leads with his or her head. And the snowflake leads with his or her heart. So the cactus, the primary characteristics of the cactus is more logical, analytical, and direct in their engagements. And the snowflake is more sensitive, empathetic, and diplomatic. And in the workplace, we always have a mix of each. 
and they really have completely different drivers uh, from each other. However, one thing that's important to be aware of from the very start is that it, we're, we're not generally just one or the other. Think, imagine a continuum. Um, so a few people are off the chart. Snack cactus are off the chart. Snowflake, most of us are somewhere in the middle. So it's important to keep that in mind that there's not just two types of personality, but there's really a, a lot of different nuances to, to keep in mind. So when it comes to the business community and the business world, uh, what temperament is, uh, is more common? Great question. It's actually about even. And uh, some people think that one or the other is better uh, than at networking, better at uh, building rapport. In fact, what really makes someone successful is by working with instead of fighting against their natural temperament. So the first step is to understand who you are and then to accept it and then to translate what you might consider a liability, whether you're a cactus or a snowflake, into your strengths. They both have their... They both have their own superpowers and, and the, the way to be the most successful is to be true to who you are instead of trying to be somebody else, while at the same time doing what I call flexing your style, which is being flexible in how you communicate with others. Well, that's that's fascinating information from the, uh, again, bestselling author of uh, multiple books and, and renowned leadership consultant, Varzak. We're talking about the latest book, the, Ca- the Cactus and the Snowflake at Work, How the Logical and Sensitive Can Thrive Side by Side. It was just published on November 2nd. And uh, absolutely thrilled to have uh, Devara here to talk uh, about the leadership styles. And what I'm taking away from our conversation is that, um, again, be true to yourself and that one is not necessarily better than the other. Um, but I want to uh, sort of uh, transition in our conversation um, to uh, our relationships at work. And certainly the workplace has shifted over the past uh, two years um, into a often remote uh, workplace, but how do you have more positive and productive interactions at work, especially realizing that, as you just said, the cactus and the snowflake, it's almost split 50-50. Well, one important factor in having positive relationships and, and also successful relationships at work is to, is to be clear about um, meeting people where they're at. And the way to do that is what I call the big two. One is to observe other people and to notice for example, what kind of language they use. For instance, uh, the cactus tends to use the word think more often and the snowflake tends to use the word feel more often, especially people with stronger preferences. So the words are mostly interchangeable in in English. However, uh, you might pick up on these little clues that someone says, well, what did you think about that book? And well, I felt like I learned a lot from it and pick up on the language. That's one way of observing. You can also observe what people get excited about, what they talk about, other kinds of words they use that are thinker or feeler language. And the second way to meet people where they're at is simply to ask them how they prefer to receive feedback, how they prefer to attend meetings and so on. It's amazing how often we overlook the the usefulness of asking people what they prefer and then to be flexible in how we communicate. And that helps us build rapport and also increases productivity when we clue into uh, other people's preferences instead of wanting them to meet us where we're at. Absolutely. And um, we have all been a uh, victim of the uh, of the times that you know we've internalized a situation, whether it happens at work or maybe even at home. And uh, I tend to use the term catastrophize, um, where you sort of go down a rabbit hole of, you know, this happened and that happened. And all of a sudden you're, you're sort of homeless and on the street. Um, but you talk about in the book of how to transform what you think is a big event into a or a big deal into a non-event. Can we talk about that for a moment? Sure thing. So the first uh, idea of the first concept of the non-event 
is that we one of us might go to a meeting and leave the meeting and say, wow, that was a disaster. Our entire group just came, was at odds with each other and everything's falling apart. And you might leave the same meeting and think it was fine. And it's not so much, some people say, oh, is it about how we perceive conflict? It's it's actually deeper than that. It's for you, literally that event didn't occur. And for me, it was a big deal. Same thing is if you talk to someone and they don't respond, maybe they really legitimately were preoccupied or didn't hear you. But for you, it might be that you were dissed and it was it was rude and this person's a jerk and uh, you don't want to work with them anymore. And so for what one person is a big event and another person is a non-event. And some people would say to another person, just relax or it's not a big deal. And that's never helpful because the idea is, is it a big deal to the other person? So to your point, you said, uh, how do you turn an, a non-event or an event into a non-event in for yourself? There's also a lot of tools and techniques in the book around that. One, for example, is using a simple ruler from one to 12 or the metrics, if you prefer, and to say, how significant is this event in the scheme, big scheme of my life from one to 12? And very often you hardly ever get above a two or a three. So giving yourself a little perspective about uh, the significance of something that feels like a, a catastrophe and really maybe you won't even remember a week from now. Well, that's great advice, again, from a leadership consultant and best-selling author, uh, Dvarzak, and, and really uh, thrilled to, to have you. So uh, my last question is, of course, I want to make sure that our listeners can, uh, can find the book. And I'll, uh, I'll lump that in with uh, if you can share your website and, and where people can purchase this fantastic book, The Cactus and the Snowflake at Work, as well as just what's that one tip that you want our listeners to take away and put into action in the week ahead? Sure. So first of all, uh, thanks for asking. And this book is for sale in bookstores everywhere and online and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, You can also visit my website, which has a link to the book and and other um, information about the work I do, cactusnowflake.com. And it's also myonlyconnect.com. Fantastic. That's that's great. And I know that you you post a lot of great information. And uh, where there's uh, where there's already uh, four books, there's certainly five, and uh, five there's six. So I know there's a lot more great advice and great information coming. Um, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing uh, to read the Cactus and the Snowflake at work: How the Logical and Sensitive Can Thrive Side by Side. So I encourage all of our listeners to pick it up. Um, we're going to squeeze in a very quick break here and get down to business. The show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. When we return. And we will continue our conversation um, with some great entrepreneurs doing great things. Check out my website, shalomkline.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I am so excited for our conversation today with Danny Petrie from uh, Origami Works Foundation, uh, who is doing just incredible, incredible things. And I know that uh, this past week has been a very, very busy week indeed um, for Danny and uh, and Talent Solutions Connector. So um, I don't want to waste any time. Danny, welcome to the program. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, Shalom, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about Talent Solutions Connector. Um, it was built by an organization I run called Origami Works Foundation. We are a member of the Chicagoland Workforce Funder Alliance and partnered along with them as well as the Cook County 
Bureau of Economic Affairs to build this tool, which is uh, by employers and for employers who are seeking talent solutions. Well, that's fantastic. And um, our listeners know how passionate I am about uh, about certainly connecting the dots between uh, between employers and uh, and job seekers, and you have quite a uh, quite a background in this space, uh, doing some fantastic things. So, um, so, so, Danny, you are the executive director uh, and the managing trustee of the Origami Works uh, Foundation. I know you've spent most of your, most of your career as management consultant. What about your background has sort of led you to this point um, where you're sort of at this very critical uh, place where there really is a disconnect that exists, right? now? Um, well, there are, I think, two things in my background that led me here. One is uh, I happen to be a first-generation college graduate. My dad had houses for a living. My mom spent most of her career working. Um, and uh, uh, while I had wonderful advantages as a college graduate, um, because I didn't have some of those uh, experiences and family connections, um, uh, I appreciate the difficulty of moving from uh, from the working class to the professional class. Then, let's say, or or moving really from from any socioeconomic group into another one. Um, and so, I, I think I have some special empathy for that, uh, even though I've had a ton, ton of advantages. Um, I'd also say that uh, I spent my senior studying a workforce development agency in Baltimore. It was called Human Development Institute. And they worked with AFDC recipients at that time. This was 35 years ago. Um, welfare moms, they used to be called, um, to teach them job skills and place them in rewarding employment. And I enjoyed studying that organization so much because it seemed like such a win-win-win situation to me um, that uh, uh, it helped employers who were seeking talent, it helped job seekers who were looking for work, and it makes the community a better place to reduce unemployment. Um, so I, I spent a lot of my career kind of looking for a way to get back into that space. And when I had the opportunity a few years ago, uh, I jumped at it and we're excited to be uh, making a contribution here in Chicagoland. Well, certainly making a huge contribution and again in a critical, critical time and um, and uh, on your website, which we'll send our listeners to in just a little bit, um, you can see uh, a lot about some of the projects that again I know is receiving a lot of recognition from um, from uh, political leadership uh, at this current time. So uh, I want to ask you sort of big picture about what you're seeing in the market and and obviously we're living in in interesting times where uh, you have a lot of folks that are, uh, there's a, a skills uh, gap, I believe that 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 exists. What are some of the things that you think we should be we we should and can be doing to, as you always say on your on your website, and I've been reading up all about you, contribute to workforce development in Chicago and beyond. I think it's a it's it's a couple of things. First of all, it's recognizing the various barriers that can uh, prevent job seekers from securing rewarding employee. Employment. And sometimes those are skills gaps and there are ways to fill that. There sometimes there are also requirements around the way a job is structured. Um, for example, um, companies in the Chicago area that recently discovered they were requiring a college degree for certain positions that really didn't require it. And they ended up 
what's called an apprenticeship program, interested job seekers can earn while they learn, um, obtain a two-year degree while working part-time and getting experience in a job, and then continue into a career that's rewarding. And that's called an apprenticeship program. And to build one, you, um, you, you can get your program certified with the Department of Labor. So that's, that's one example of, of the kinds of barriers that people face. The other barriers could be things like childcare or transportation. Um, and figuring out ways to bridge the gaps between a willing worker and an employer who needs talent um, is what workforce development is all about. Well, that's critical. So, what's your uh, what your what's your outlook in terms of the uh, in terms of the uh, upcoming years um, in uh, in Cook County? Uh, where do you see the opportunities uh, likely rising and popping up? I think um, uh, as we emerge from the COVID crisis, and we've had some unique situations here with uh, uh, the great resignation and, and, and people uh, being af afraid to work, um, uh, I think employers are going to have to look beyond kind of traditional ideas of diversity and inclusion uh, and look at truly inclusive employment, look for those workers uh, that may, they may not have thought of before, maybe workers who have histories or or lack education or experience or um, you know people who've had justice involvement uh, or some substance abuse histories uh, employers can kind of think about the requirements of their job and maybe open up a little bit and then fortunately you know they don't have to go this alone they there are plenty of providers and agencies who for either a free or a subsidized cost can help uh, train up this time, the jobs that need to be done um, and place them, help facilitate the interview process, workers in the right jobs, and then go beyond that to support the workers for up to a year once they're in the job so that if they run into obstacles or issues to help the workers solve those so that the employers can retain the employees, which they uh, really want to do. Um, so so I'm, I'm seeing Talent Solutions Connector as a way to help employers recognize those opportunities to uh, find new sources of talent and get the help they need to make it a success. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Danny Petrie, the Executive Director and Managing Trustee of Chicago-based Origami Works Foundation, um, who has just launched a Talent Solutions Connector. Um, literally over the past week. And uh, Talent Solutions Connector already contains nearly 200 local services that help employers with their talent needs. And again, in just a moment, we're going to uh, make sure that people can get on your website. But uh, Danny, when people go to, uh, go to that website, what are some of the things that they, can, uh, that they can browse and how can they connect with uh, program providers? That's a great question. There's several ways to interact with the website. Um, there's a simple search, so you could just, let's say you're looking to hire people, you could type in hiring and uh, a list of will come up and then you're able to kind of filter down on uh, various things, whether it's geography or uh, if you're looking for a, pro a provider who focuses on a particular sector, uh, or if you're looking to work with certain target populations, um, or prioritized populations of, of workers. So there are ways to narrow down your search, find a few different providers who might have what you're looking for, um, and, uh, and then reach 
those providers and connect with them and see how they can help you. Um, awesome. Another Fantastic. way to interact, sorry. Well, fantastic. That's, I mean, that's a perfect segue in our conversation. I do want to make sure that people can, uh, can get on your website, but feel free to share any resources as we come to a conclusion in our conversation. Sure. Um, I'll just say that there are, uh, it, the site is not limited to hiring services. It does have opportunities for subsidized training, on-the-job learning, uh, navigation of building an apprenticeship system, such as the one I described earlier. Uh, so lots of opportunities, and I would encourage your uh, listeners who are seeking talent to check it out. Well, fantastic. And what is that website? One more time. TalentSolutionsConnector.net. On solutionsconnector.net. Well, we appreciate you coming on again, the, uh, the executive director uh, and founder of the Origami Works Foundation, uh, touching on a really critical need, uh, helping to connect, uh, again, employers with a diverse and inclusive workforce. I know Talent Solutions Connector already contains already over uh, 200 local services to help employers with their talent needs. And I encourage all of our listeners to get on your website to learn more, um, whether it's a program provider, a, an employer, or certainly anybody looking for any of those uh, services or resources as well. Danny Petrie, thank you so much for joining us on the air. Thank you so long for helping us spread the word. Absolutely. And it's a pleasure. And I look forward to staying in touch. Uh, in the meantime, we got to squeeze in a very quick break here and get down to business. Uh, we got some headlines, some uh, some commercials for you. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share um, and the podcast all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We will be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com, and check out our sponsors, Tom Rabali from healthplanchicago.com for all of your health insurance, Affordable Care Act um, needs. And again, his website is healthplanchicago.com. He offers a free consultation, um, which I highly recommend because let's face it, things are confusing in 2021 when we're talking about uh, health insurance and, and uh, needs for your family, needs for your business, and so on. Um, but speaking of challenging, um, you know, it's really challenging running social media campaigns for your small business, especially as you're trying to make a sort of pack a punch in late 2021. We're going to be uh, coming up on Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. Um, and, you know, everybody's trying to sort of end the year um, without just sort of uh, making their uh, their turkeys. We want to make sure that we're wrapping up the, the business year as well. Marketers are expected to juggle multiple social media profiles, keep them up to date with fresh posts. And let's face it, it's tough. Your followers are hungry for new content and you're expected to deliver on a consistent basis. When you constantly recycle those same posts over and over again, your social feeds start to feel like Groundhog Day. That's exactly why brands need to have multiple social media ideas in their back pocket. So that's why um, I'm getting into this um, here on, on Get Down to Business uh, today. And I wanted to share some of these tips, which by the way, more of, is available on my website at shellamcline.com. So do you wanna make your social feed feel more like an event rather than a laundry list of random posts? Start a series where you have the opportunity to interact with your fans and followers on a regular basis. By providing relevant content at a consistent clip, you can build a habit among your audience to look forward to seeing specific content from your brand. For example, um, you can see that uh, on my website, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll post different uh, segments that we've had. And uh, often at the end of the week, you know, feature highlights and content that, uh, that you might have missed. 
Uh, and, uh, and I'd encourage you to, again, develop that regular schedule, which shows your community what to expect and offers a relevant, helpful way to bookend the, the whole week. And have you ever considered running a contest or a giveaway? People cannot resist the power of free. Running the occasional contest is one of the most impactful social media ideas you can have when it comes to potential engagement from your followers. So according to some data from a website that I found, Tailwind, 91% of Instagram posts with more than 1,000 likes or comments are related to a contest. Meanwhile, accounts that run contests on a regular basis are noted to grow 70% faster than those that don't. Crazy, right? When you look at how much sort of posts that, uh, that, uh, that when you're running a contest and, and offering things to people, it all seems to start making sense. You don't necessarily need a third-party solution or a service to run a contest. All you need is a combination of the following, something to give away. Ideally, the prize for your contest should somehow be related to your brand. Think free product, maybe a membership. Big ticket, unrelated items tend to attract freebie seekers that won't translate into long-term long followers, so avoid it. Terms and conditions. Cover yourself legally, terms and conditions are a must for your contest, but there are templates that are out there, just Google it, and it could clue you in on exactly what you need. Uh, additionally, uh, there are some things that you should have in your, uh, in your contest that obviously seem legitimate and not like a potential scam. Make sure you have a point of contact on your terms and conditions page. Make sure to leave an email address where people can get in touch with questions or concerns and a creative way to enter, whether it's through user-generated content or a hashtag asking followers to post about your brand is probably the best way to encourage entries. After all, the purpose of a giveaway is brand awareness, not just to give away free things. So uh, popular on Reddit, an AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything series, represents an awesome opportunity to educate and engage with your followers. Ask Me Anything are essentially question and answer sessions where you get to share your knowledge, experiences, and insight. If you've overcome struggles or have cloud in your industry, you likely have the chops to conduct and ask me anything from sharing success stories, to personal challenges. Such sessions can be compelling for audiences and brands alike. But why bother hosting one? What's the point? Consider how an AMA ticks the following boxes for brands. You get to show off your personal side, showcasing the face behind the curtain of your business. You raise awareness for your brand without being pushy or salesy about it, and you get to learn more about the concerns and interests of your audience. If you have a large team, you can encourage each member to conduct their own Ask Me Anything over time to sort of give a big picture view of the brand. And finally, I would recommend conduct a social media takeover. Sometimes injecting new life into your social feeds means letting someone else take over. Takeovers put the reins of your social accounts in someone else's hands, usually for a period of about 24 hours. Handing off your social presence, maybe it's somebody that you know, somebody local, uh, maybe uh, maybe an elected official or an influencer or a celebrity, uh, and, and is, is a great way to get your, uh, your brand in front of some new faces and inject a new voice into your account. If you're feeling short and running short on social media post ideas, you can also let someone else in your company take over your account to give you your feed some flavor, some new ideas. Consider business partners, industry relationships that could be good candidates for a takeover. The purpose of a takeover is to get exposure. So ideally choose someone whose audience demographic is relevant to your own. I've seen some really interesting examples of this um, with some restaurants that have had some other uh, some other foodies 
uh, share as well. And finally, 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 don't be afraid to let your fans and followers do the talking. Remember, not all the content on your social feed has to be your own. In fact, conventional wisdom tells us that it shouldn't be. Promoting other relevant brands, articles, and photos from your followers is a great content idea that shows that you're part of your industry conversation, not just a parrot. I'm going to post more tips, advice, and information on my website at shalomkline.com. So make sure you get there and let me know what you think. There's a contact form, and I always love to know what our listeners are saying. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share get down to business on your favorite podcast app. Um, we've got a great conversation in store for us. I'm going to be chatting with Richard Vague, talking about the business history of the United States when we return. So don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am honored and thrilled to have the uh, the Pennsylvania Secretary of Banking and Securities, Richard Vague, uh, join me here on Get Down to Business. Prior to his 2020 appointment, he was the managing partner of a venture capital company, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of an electricity and natural gas company, and co-founder and CEO of two national consumer banks. But most importantly, perhaps his new book is an illustrated business history of the United States. So Richard, welcome to the program. It's a real privilege to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to talk about the uh, about the background for uh, for for this book. Um, we certainly know that right now the uh, the U.S. House is contending with a uh, one trillion dollar bill uh, promoted by uh, by the president by President Biden to upgrade the country's infrastructure. Um, and uh, in the meantime, we we certainly look at the the lines between the United States uh, government and business, and it is as blurry as it comes. So, Richard, I know you've studied that topic um, both through history, and uh, the book is a fascinating read. So, I, I'm curious what what led you to uh, spend all the time. It certainly sounds like you've been busy. Spend all that time in writing uh, an illustrated business history of the United States. Well, we were doing a lot of research on financial crises in a book that we published a couple of years ago. And we we pushed that analysis back a couple of hundred years in the six biggest countries on earth, uh, which of course is topped by the United States. And as we were doing that, we found that a lot of business data was unavailable when you came to the late 1700s and the early 1800s, really throughout the 1800s. So we we noticed there had not been a business history written, and we felt like uh, that was a challenge to us to fill that void. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is that we, we just lived through another crisis, but we've had a lot of different crises over times. And um, what I love about the book, and again, it's an illustrated business history. So, I mean, even from the cover uh, onward, um, you see some some of that lens of the of how uh, real estate, finance, agriculture, industry, other sectors, how there is a story that has been told. So, Richard, I have to ask, what's what's your most interesting story um, that you had the most fun sort of learning about yourself? Well, the U.S. government, as you alluded to in your earlier comments, was deeply involved in business from the very beginning. So we see them. Uh, teaching manufacturers how to do interchangeable parts in the American Revolution, financing some of that activity. And then uh, to answer your question, right after that, we desire to start a manufacturing industry within the United States. But all that knowledge and all those secrets are over in Britain. So we basically have to steal those secrets. And there's a lot of individuals involved, but they are aided and abetted by some of the most prominent names 
in, in American history in terms of stealing uh, Britain's IP. You know, Alexander Hamilton, Tinch Cox and others were were deeply involved in that. So I think I had a lot of fun looking at what the U.S. government was doing in the early decades. The role of government and business, certainly it's uh, played a very substantial role. And I know, um, Richard, I talked about your background a moment ago, and you've been in leadership roles in the banking industry for a while. So what's that role of banks been in business throughout time? Well, it's fascinating because, you know, you know, my own knowledge as a practitioner really didn't go back past World War II. So I, I kind of assumed, I think, as many people do, that, you know, perhaps banks that weren't significant uh, prior in the early period of American history. But banks evolved in a major way from the very beginning. In fact, the very first bank in the U.S. is formed in 1781 to help finance the revolution. We, we all know that the Continentals were inflationary. So a bunch of patriots formed a bank called the Bank of North America and helped finance some of the supplies that uh, helped win the Battle of Yorktown, which of course was the last major battle of the war. Then that's almost immediately followed by the establishment of the Bank of the United States in 1791. So you have massive banks dominating the landscape from the very outset. By the time a couple of decades have passed, you have you know three or 400 uh, banks in the United States and it's the dominant early industry. Fascinating. Again, I'm chatting with Richard Vig, who is uh, currently serving as the Pennsylvania Banking and Securities Secretary, um, but certainly with a very, very rich history in business. And that is indeed the topic of uh, the book, An Illustrated Business History of the United States. So um, lastly, before we go to a very quick break, I want to talk about how real estate factors into U.S. history. Uh, I think we all know that right now there's that real estate boom that's that's taking place, but that, that history of real estate is, is really kind of fascinating, isn't it? Uh, it's very fascinating to learn that I, I kind of look at 1748 as an epical moment in the North American com, uh, continent. A very young George Washington in his early 20s and his two older brothers and several other wealthy Virginians form the Ohio Company of Virginia to try to buy 500,000 acres in the Ohio Valley. And that really sets off uh, you know, a multi-decade run where the rich folks in the United States are trying to ban- buy vast tracts of land. Robert Morris accumulates 6 million acres of land. Robert, of course, helped finance the revolution itself when he was the first financial executive in the U.S. Of course, it led him to bankruptcy. Uh, but you have any number of other folks, William Bingham, who's the richest man in America in that era, uh, amasses several million acres. It's America's first business. Well, very, very interesting. So uh, I know you've, uh, you're, you are a historian. You've written the uh, author of A Brief History of Doom, The Next Economic Disaster. Lots of interesting reads, but this book is, is certainly fascinating indeed. Um, it is uh, the illustrated business history of the United States. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break, but when we come back, I do want to continue our conversation with Richard Vig um, in talking about what's fundamentally changed about business and what's the future of business, certainly timely as we wrap up this 2021 uh, year that's been uh, uh, all sorts of fun. So again, quick break and more with Richard Vig when we return in just a moment. Hey, well, welcome back. I've been chatting with Richard Vig. We've been chatting about the illustrated business history of the United States. We're going to share 
that website where you can uh, find this just fascinating read that came out back in May of 2021, and I've been enjoying it um, immensely. And we've been chatting about the role of government, role of banks, um, role of real estate in U.S. history. And certainly that all leads into what I know is so near and dear to all of our listeners on Get Down to Business. And that's business itself, small business perhaps. So Richard, um, I know in your research and certainly in your, uh, in your current role, um, you pay close attention to, uh, to, to, to business. What's fundamentally changed about business over, uh, over time in our US history? The thing that you note when you look at business over the last 250 years is that our largest businesses are invariably associated with the practical needs of life, agriculture, transportation, energy, and the like. And that's really been true up until the very recent past. And all of a sudden, we're beginning to see, as the United States has become more wealthy and more of our time is spent in in entertainment-type pursuits, we're seeing the emergence to the very top of the list of American businesses, uh, businesses like Facebook, that are not involved in the practical needs of life, but instead revolve around entertainment, controversy, uh, the things that consume, you know, kind of the idle hours of our lives. We're seeing other companies emerge. uh, Things like Netflix and, and Amazon are certainly more and more associated with video streaming and things like that. I think it's a fundamental change in U.S. business. I think in the future, business is going to be more and more represented by businesses that have to do with comfort, controversy, distraction, entertainment, as opposed to those practical needs. Fascinating, fascinating. So Richard, again, we're having this conversation in uh, in mid-November uh, 2021, where we've certainly seen a, a lot of changes. Um, so you sort of just led into that about the future of, of business uh, and where you're seeing it. You talked about some of the uh, entertainment technology and so on. But if there's one uh, one thing that you're seeing and perhaps one uh, one bit of advice that you have for our small business and entrepreneur listeners out there, what would that be? Well, it's pay attention to the future. I mean, I see a lot of changes going on. Two of the biggest, one I already mentioned, which is kind of our digital future. We're going to be the metaverse, augmented reality, virtual reality. are going to consume more and more of our time. Another profound change that is just beginning to emerge is genetic engineering. It's going to bring an unprecedented revolution. We're able to use it for things like disease cure, but over the longer term, we're gonna be able to use it to re-engineer ourselves. Now, you know, I can see vanity changes in our own DNA, and this is going to be a huge industry. So I, I, if you're a small business starting out, I'd look to industries that are going to be the big industries and try to latch on to serving those industries. Well, I've certainly learned a lot from our conversation with, uh, with uh, author. Uh, Richard Vega, I could use so many other titles as well, and um, you're just continuing to uh, to serve and certainly use that business background um, in the uh, currently in in that uh, in the world of government, but certainly uh, looking at history as a way to uh, to predict the future is certainly the way to go. So the book is called An Illustrated Business History of the United States, published by University of Pennsylvania Press in May of 2021. And I want to make sure our listeners know where they can learn more about you because I have a feeling there's probably more books to come. So Richard, can you share your website? 
Uh, it's my name, which is Richard Vague, V as in Victor, A-G-U-E dot com. And we have my books and other data about the economy on that site. RichardVague.com. Well, thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate you joining us and sharing um, how, uh, again, uh, that illustrated uh, business history of the United States for the first time, really documenting that. So I really enjoyed the, the conversation. I look forward to staying in touch. That's a wrap here for us on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, ShalomKlein.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the eight plus years of shows. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 5 6 of The Answer.